0: Man, well, good evening, church. Why don't we just rise and we begin to worship and enter the Lord's presence. And let's give Him our hearts and our praise of worship.
1: All right, church, we're going to do this. We worship in Him, name Heavenly Father. We welcome you into this place. Receive our worship, Lord, and our praise. We thank you, Jesus.
0: The miracle that I just can't get over My name is registered in heaven Yeah, my praise belongs to you forever Come on, we sing This is my testimony From death to life This grace rewrote my story I'll testify By Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified This is my testimony, this is
2: my
0: testimony. Come together, sons and daughters, bought with blood and washed in water. Sing the praises of the Spirit, Son and Father, our God. We'll finish what He started. Yes, our God. We'll finish what He started. Oh, this is my testimony from this life. This grace we wrote my story. I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous. I'm justified. This is my testimony. Come on, sing. This is my testimony. lift up all of our voices if I'm not dead then you're not done greater things are still to come for I believe if I'm not dead you're not done greater things are still to come oh, I believe if I'm not dead then you're not done Greater things are still to come, oh, I believe. If I'm not dead, it's your not done. Greater things are still to come, oh, I believe. Come on, look at my work. This is my testimony, from death to life. This grace rewrote my story, I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous, I'm justified. This is my testimony. Oh, I'm alive. This is my testimony. I'm dead to life. This grace rewrote my story. I testify by Jesus Christ the righteous. I'm justified. This is my testimony. This is my testimony.
1: Thank you, Heavenly Father. That is my testimony. That is the testimony. Amen, church? And so is this one. Come on, lift your voice to me tonight. And I searched the world. Oh, yeah. But it couldn't fill me. The man's empty bread, treasures that fade. Never, I want to welcome the young people tonight in the house. Yeah. And you came along. Yeah. They put me back together. And every desire is now satisfied. Here in your love. Sing it with me. Oh, there's nothing better than you the car into a highway. He gives us that emergency exit. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And I search the world. Come on, sing it with me. You couldn't fail me. That's right. Man's empty praise, treasures of faith, but never enough. You came along. Come on, give him breath. And put me back together. That's right. And every desire is now satisfied. Here in your love.
3: You know our first song our first song was called my testimony and i don't know about you but my testimony wouldn't make sense but for the blood of jesus christ that has taken my failures and flaws and made me brand new Amen. how many of you in this place can give glory and praise to the blood of jesus christ that has set you free Woo! thank you lord for the blood Thank you, Lord, for the blood that has washed me white. I give you all praise and all honor and all glory right here, right now. Thank you, Lord, for setting me free. Thank you, Lord, for breaking my chains. Thank you, Lord, for the love that you have given me.
2: Thank you, Lord. Thank you,
3: Lord. I was a wreck. I remember who I was.
4: Give him praise, give him praise, give him praise. Say, thank you, Lord. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. It sounds like you came to have an encounter with the living God tonight. Father, thank you. Lord, there's a war going on on the other side of the world. An innocent country was attacked by a bully. And yet we see that happen all around the world. There's people in here that have been attacked by a bully. A husband or a wife, a brother or a sister, some friend, some relative that has just been bullied. Just been manipulated, been attacked with words and actions. And there's real brokenness. God, we thank you, thank you, thank you for what you've done in our life. We thank you for how you've transformed our life. We thank you for what you're doing in our life and how you continue to just show yourself to us. So, Father, we're believing that, Lord, you're going to do something really great tonight. And I pray that, Lord, you start right here. For everyone in this room and everyone online, that, God, there be an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. That, Lord, you meet every need. Father, there's people that are so filled with overflowing joy. And there's others with overflowing brokenness. God, it's just all over the place. They're broken and hurting. Thank you that, God, you are the God that heals and restores. Thank you the God that provides and takes care of our every need. Father, we pray for the people of Ukraine, Lord under attack the church of God has several congregations there and Lord there's many other congregations Reverend Griego goes and ministers there once a year there's people that he and Vivian are attached to and have intertwined hearts with just like David and Jonathan And Lord, they're heartbroken, they're they're torn over this. I pray protection and healing over our congregations, God. Watch over them and be with them. Father God, we're also praying, Father God, for those that are still fighting all of our troops, the United States military that is around this world, still trying to put out fires in Afghanistan and in the Middle East. God, we pray your protection over them. Father, we pray, Father God, for the violence that that has plagued our county here in Bernalillo County. God, would you please bring an end to this? Father, there's innocent lives being taken. Father, we pray your peace and grace over these families, some from our congregation that recently lost loved ones. Father God, we're praying for a police officer in Santa Fe and the innocent bystander that were both killed in a car accident earlier today in a high-speed chase. Father, comfort them. Be with all law enforcement as they're troubled tonight. Father, only you know what's going on right now with the people online and in this room. So, God, we pray for the person to our right and to our left. We pray for the person in front of us and behind us. And we pray, Father God, minister to their need. Take care of them right now. We pray for an outpouring of your spirit, and we pray this in the glorious name of Jesus Christ, the risen King, and all of God's people, shout out, amen. Amen. Praise God, praise God, praise God. You may be seated. Many of you know today is the first day of Lent. The Lenten season starts. It's Ash Wednesday, and... The ashes are to remind us that Jesus gave his life and he wants us to sacrifice. He wants us to do whatever we possibly can to just release ourself over to him. Our youth have joined us today. If there's any youth in here, 6th, 7th, 8th, and high school, please be dismissed right now. Follow David Sanchez, our youth minister. Um, It's an exciting time, guys going to be exciting. Please make your way over there, young people. But I want to let you know that um, there's some really neat things that you could do. We're going to be posting a daily devotional written by people from our congregation. And so if you're on Facebook, go to Facebook. If you're not on Facebook, go to our website. It's on our website, and you can read the devotional and follow along. It's called Experiencing... Freedom in Christ. And it's going to be a great 47 days of devotionals leading us to Easter. And then I encourage you to pass it along with others. You could also get it on the church app. And it's just a great time. Just want to let you know, calling all ladies. This Saturday at 10 a.m., they are going to kick off a brand new ministry called Sisterhood. Yeah, so ladies, you're going to be able to come together to encourage one another, to just lift up each other in prayer, to laugh together, to pray together, to hear a great testimony. Margarita Ortiz is going to be our speaker, and uh, it's a potluck, so bring some kind of a dish you'd like to share, either a breakfast or a, a lunch or a brunch, so it'll be a great time. Don't forget that on the 12th of March, which is not this Saturday, but next, we move our clocks forward so we lose an hour of sleep. So that's a real drag. So all of us just, at the count of three, go, aw, one, two, three, aw. But we're more than conquerors, and we will wake up that morning and come to church. (laughs) And some of you will forget to move it forward, so you'll show up an hour late. (laughs) Uh, Our men's breakfast is coming up as well. But the thing I really want to focus on is we are having a youth fundraising banquet. They're raising funds to go to the International Youth Convention. They keep talking about IYC. IYC is International Youth Convention. And it's really, really going to be neat. It's going to be a lot of fun. And... uh, so on the banquet, it's on the March the 18th, and uh, tickets are on sale. They're only $20 a person, or you could get a table of eight for only $150, and we hope that you would support the youth in that journey. Last, I want to let you know that there's a grief-share class that we have, and that grief-share class is for people that have lost loved ones. And I know a lot of you in here have lost loved ones, Last year we did 92 funerals here, and we've already done a whole bunch. Uh, and this year, and the grief share is on every Thursday from 11 a.m. to one o'clock, and they provide lunch. So if you have lost a loved one and you want to go through that journey, uh, we would have really appreciate it. I hope that you have been blessed with Reverend Griego's presentation. Reverend Anthony Griego is phenomenal. He he and his wife have served as pastors, as missionaries, and he's a professor, teaches in the Bible college in Flagstaff, Arizona, and also in the Ukraine and many other places, including here. But we have been blessed to have him fill this pulpit, and uh, he's going to do part two of what we started last week, so if you have your notes, please take your notes out. Put your seatbelt on because I'm telling you, he gives us a good ride with a lot of information. So open your ears, get your pen ready, get your Bible ready, and put your hands together as we welcome Anthony Griego.
5: Thank you, Pastor. Okay, let's pray. Father, we commit this time to you, Lord, to your glory. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity that you give us to open your word, Father, without fear of of even being chased down, Father, for having a copy of the scriptures as some people are in parts of the world, Lord. Such an opportunity we have to have the Bible at hand. And, Father, I pray that as we go through even... This message tonight, Father, that we would see it, dear God, for what it can be in our lives, that we would allow you, Father, to make it all that you want it to be, and Father, that our lives would reflect, God, that which you want us to, to be as your people in this world. Thank you, Father, for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week, <clears throat> I uh, committed probably one of the, well, probably the second most important uh, I'm not sure I'd call it sin, but offense of somebody behind a pulpit. And that is that I went over time. It wasn't my fault. The clock wasn't running. And if you're going to ask me, you know, what was the most, the number one sin behind a pulpit, um, I don't know. Because by God's grace, I don't think I've committed it yet. So uh, I'd like to to show you... um, Every year I go to Ukraine, uh, there's a a Bible college called Word of God Bible College, and it's founded by a couple. They're probably now in their 70s, maybe mid-70s. They've been there for almost 25 years, and they are basically training Ukrainians to lead their churches. And um, I have a picture of, of some of them up there. Can we show that? Maybe not. Anyway, um, so what I teach there is I teach two different classes. One is apologetics, Christian apologetics. And that doesn't mean that you're apologizing for being a believer. It means that you are learning how to defend your faith, how to give people a reason why you believe. And the second thing that I teach there is the uh, New Testament survey. So we go through the Gospels, all four Gospels in the book of Acts, in eight days, so you can imagine the pace that this thing is at. Um, so, if you're if you're having trouble keeping up tonight, I I, I would understand because I'm used to going pretty fast. But I hope I hope this will work. Um, Pastor originally had introduced me as as having a doctorate. I, I do not have a doctorate. I have a master's degree in divinity, and I didn't go to Dallas Theological Seminary, which is like where Charles Swindoll is. I went to Talbot Theological Seminary, and they're like sister sister seminaries. Uh, Talbot is where John MacArthur came out of, or, or Josh McDowell, if you're familiar with them. And those were guys older than me who, who went through before I ever got there. But, but, but both of those schools are non-denominational, which means that they're not tied to any denomination, either Baptist or, or Methodist or whatever. They just purpose to be Christian. And the neat thing about that is this, From the time that you get there, one of the things that they really try to to get into your mind is that every time you open up the Word of God, you have a bias. Even before you get through reading a passage, you already think you know what the passage is going to tell you. And if you don't realize that you have that bias, then you have the bias even worse than most people. You see what I'm saying? But that's where we all start. And so what happens is that we open up the scripture and we already think we know what it's going to say, so we kind of, you know, work in that direction. And sometimes we'll try to force the passage to to give us what we want from it. You, You understand what I'm saying? So this is where we are taught to be careful not to make claims or promises that God didn't promise. And I believe in God's promises, but I need to be careful that I know the ones that he's given to me, right? If God has promised to destroy the Philistines, I am so grateful that isn't my promise, right? I don't want to be in that number. But see, what happens when people, when people misunderstand or misinterpret the scriptures? What happens when they look at a biblical pac- uh, passage and they, they grab it and they force it to be what they want it to be? Does it matter? Does it make a difference? Now, one of the things that we cover in apologetics is that I I will say, okay, somebody is going to come up to you that you're trying to share the gospel with, and they're going to say, you know, Christians have committed acts of injustice, war, slavery, genocide, and opposition all in the name of Jesus, and have even used the scriptures to defend their actions. True or false? True. And so I don't argue with them. I have to say, you know what? You are right. You are right. And I am ashamed that that has occurred. But I can't argue with you. That is the way it's been. And why does that happen? Because again, people have taken the word of God and they'll read what they want to read and they'll make it, they'll interpret it the way they want to interpret it. So in this process of how to effectively study the word of God, we are looking at at four steps. The first one is context. You have to make sure you understand what type of passage you're looking at. And you have to understand what the situation was, right? Then you have to look at at the observation. As you look at a passage, you have to very, very carefully, and this is what we did last week, you have to very carefully look word for word what the, the passage is saying and also what it is not saying. Because quite often we will take a passage and read it so fast, especially if we come with a bias, we already know it. And, and nobody can talk to us. Nobody can even show us, look, did you really read it carefully? And this isn't, this isn't just anybody. I mean, this, is, this, is, this happens to, to, to everybody. My wife has been in a, in a women's Bible study for years, and this one dear old saint woman, I mean, we love this lady. She was like a mother to us. No matter what the question was, her answer was, well, Jesus loves us. Well, that's true, that's true, but what does this verse say? We're not talking about that, right? And it's a good answer, but it didn't come from the from the the context of the passage. So tonight what we're gonna do is we're gonna finish up the four step process with lessons on how to interpret the word of God. Interpret and apply the word of God. The first one is interpretation, and we are cautioned that we need to learn how to handle the scriptures with care, with respect, and to let them speak for themselves. 2 Timothy 2 verse 15 says, work hard so that you can present yourself to God to receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. That ought to be our goal. We don't want to do any kind of scripture twisting. We want to understand what the scripture says because that's what people need to hear. So if you, if you think about interpretation, the question is, what does it mean? When you look at a passage, you have to say, okay, what is this passage saying to me? And you have to, you have to apply certain tests to your interpretation, okay? I think I've got five or six of them here. The first one is you have to, make, you have to ask yourself if your interpretation makes sense according to the intent of the author, Here, for example, in Matthew 18, verse 19, I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. How many of us have ever heard that verse? All of us, right? If you take that without context, we ought to grab, I'll bet there's two of us in this room that would like the war in Ukraine to stop tonight, right? So if we take that verse out of context, we can say, okay, let's grab two people, let's pray it, and it's done. But is that the way it works? See, we know it doesn't work that way. And yet sometimes people will take a verse like that, they'll pull it out of context, and even with good intentions, they're trying to encourage somebody. But it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. Because it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. According to the author, if you are writing a letter to someone, say your wife or your husband, and you've got three pages of writing, and somebody picks up the second page of that, goes to the middle of the page, reads one sentence, and then tries to take that one sentence to make whatever they want of it, you see what they are doing? They're destroying the context. They're destroying the intent of the author because of taking the verse out of context. So the first thing you have to ask yourself or test your interpretation, does it follow the intent of the author? And that's why you have to read the entire passage. The second test is you have to ask yourself, does my interpretation conflict with other biblical teaching? In this case here, we believe that the, the Holy Scriptures are inspired by God and without error in their autographs. In their original writings, we believe that there were no errors. Now we believe that the copy that we have today is as close as possible we can get to the autographs. So we take, we take it as God's word. But here we have, to, we have to ask ourselves, does my interpretation of this verse contradict anything else that I know in the scriptures? Because see, this is one thing that I, I mentioned last week that the cults will do. They will hammer hard on certain verses, but if you ask them, well, what about this other verse? They don't know what to do with that or in some cases what they've done is they've actually taken their their scripture and they'll rewrite it in order to make sure it doesn't contradict because they know it doesn't make sense. The third thing you have to do as far as a test is you have to make sure that your your interpretation makes sense across the centuries. Let me let me put it this way. The Mormons the Mormons believe that Joseph Smith was inspired by God when he wrote on the golden tablets, right? And then these golden tablets were taken back up in heaven. And Joseph Smith was convinced that polygamy was of God, that that is the way that God wanted it to be. But you can ask any Mormon today if they believe if polygamy is God's will today, and they'll say no. And so my question is, you know, so what happened? Was he not inspired? Or did they give new revelation? And see, the problem with them is that they give new revelation. It's called the Book of Mormon because they have to rewrite certain things in order to say, oh, well, God changed his mind here. Okay, well, what, what's, what should I believe now that's going to change tomorrow? You see the point? So you have to realize that if the word of God is true, it is true and it should be true across all centuries. God doesn't change his mind, right? And so if it was true 2,000 years ago, the same principle ought to be true today. The next test is that it has to be able to make sense across cultures. Because again, Christianity is not American. Christianity is not British. Christianity is not German. It's not Mexican. It's not anybody. It is supra cultural. It should be able to apply across all cultures, correct? And so that's why we can take the word of God to any culture, to any place, and you can, once it's translated, you can teach these people and it makes sense to them. And they become Christians. But you see here, in this particular case, the Amish, for example, you cannot become saved according to the Amish religion unless you conform to how they dress, how they live, and even how they speak. So if you're not into learning uh, Pennsylvania German or Dutch German, you're, you're out of luck because you can't be saved. Their culture is what defines their Christianity. And it's so sad because they have so many young people that they will not even let them go to school lest they, lest they realize that this doesn't make any sense. It has to go across cultures. The fifth test is that it has to work in real life. Here, Mary Baker Eddy, who founded the Church of Christ Scientist, she came up with this wonderful theology that disease is not real. It's simply in your mind. She herself uh, disavowed any kind of medicine in fact, what happened with her? Let me read this. It says, <clears throat> "Disease is not real because human body and the entire material world are mere illusions, a dream. Those awoke and who know the truth can instantly heal themselves, provided they show no doubt by relying on any doctor, medicine, even aspirin or vitamin, not even painkillers. Although she herself is reported to have." often use heroin to cope with her physical pain. The result of this, and this this you can Google, countless men and women and children have needlessly suffered and died of treatable cases of infections, tumors, diphtheria, flu. Because their religion would say, if you go there, you don't have faith. You don't have faith. There was one story I read just as as I was studying for this. This one woman, she watched her father, who was graduate PhD from Columbia University, wither and die. He had gangrene on his feet, and it got to the point where his leg literally fell off. He could not take anything to deal with the pain, and he died a miserable death. And his daughter says, I can't wait till... Till that whole church collapses into the dust. She is so angry, she says, because not only for my dad, but a- across the, the world, countless people buy into this. But see, it doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't work in real life to pretend that the pain, physical pain you're going through, is only a dream. How many of us have lost people that we know to COVID? Are we dreaming? Are we dreaming that they're not around anymore? You see, it has to work in real life. There's a Bible college in Edinburgh, Texas, and they minister, they they train mostly people going to Latin America to to be ministers there, to missionary, and they said this, that Christian churches in Latin America are growing quickly from 4% in 1970 to almost 20% today. One thing that has spurred this growth is an ever-increasing teaching of the prosperity gospel, where feel-good, man-centered, motivational messages with promises of health, wealth, and happiness are presented instead of the Christ-centered message of the gospel. So they go down there and they tell these people because they really want to save people. I don't, I don't doubt that. But they will tell them, look, if you accept Christ, this is, this is a good life you're going to get. Now, what's wrong with that picture? except that it doesn't work, does it? If we, if, if you convince somebody to become a believer that their life is going to be better, their life may not be better. This very day, there's going to be at least a couple of hundred Christians that are going to be put to death because of their faith in Jesus Christ. That's the way the world is. And so if we take what we want to, to even help people, if we twist the, what, what isn't in the word of God, we're doing them a grave disservice, are we not? Right? We don't want to do that. And so even this one fellow, his name is Russell, uh, uh, Bertrand Russell. He's a Nobel laureate, amazingly smart guy, died 20 years ago or so, and, and incredibly smart. He was a professor at Oxford or Cambridge, but a stout atheist. And you know why? Because he says the beginning of, of real wisdom is when people believing what isn't true. Now, see, he looks at so much of what goes on, even as Christianity, even if it's Amish, even if it's uh, Mormons or whatever, and he says none of this is true, and he rejects the whole thing. But we have to accept what is real because you know what? That's where we live. And if we go trying to tell other people, well, it's not really that way, do they know that people die? Yes, they do. Do they know that there's pain? Yes, they they know that. And do they think that life is going to be the bowl of cherries just because they pray and accept Christ? They better, they better will not know that, right? We want to tell them, look, it may get harder. It may get harder because you accept Christ. And I don't want you to be blindsided. But these are the things that you have to test your interpretation against, okay? So then we move to application. James... James chapter 1, verse 22 through 25. And it reads this, But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, And if you do what it says and don't forget what you have heard, then God will bless you for doing it. So after you do your study, the context of the passage, and you do careful, careful observation, word for word, because every word is important, right? And then after you do your observation, you let it give you the interpretation. And you don't stop there because now you have to say, okay, Application, the question is, what does it matter to me? A lot of people will say, you know, that book, the Bible, it is so old, it's been around forever. It's not even relevant to me today. Why should I even waste my time with it? But if you open it up, you will realize it is more relevant than you ever realized. It is relevant to our lives today. So when you come to your application, you are going to have to test your application First of all, you have to ask yourself, is it supported by the text? So let me show you one passage from Leviticus 17:14. It says, the life of every creature is in its blood. That is why I have said to the people of Israel, you must never eat or drink blood, for the life of any creature is in its blood. So whoever consumes blood will be cut off from the community. Now go to an, another verse on that. Acts 15:20 This is at the Jerusalem council and it says instead we should write and tell them it's talking about the gentiles to abstain from eating foods altered I'm sorry offered to idols from sexual immorality from eating the meat of strangled animals and from consuming blood Now if you know somebody who is a Jehovah's witness when they sign up, they probably don't tell them that if their life is in peril because they need a blood transfusion, a good Jehovah's Witness will say, you better you better not do that. And to this day, men, women, and children die needlessly because they are not allowed to take a blood transfusion. And based on what? These two verses, one out of Leviticus, that Moses writes. Now, do you really think that Moses was thinking about blood transfusions? How about the apostles back in the book of Acts? Nothing to do with it. It's talking about consuming blood, not not doing a blood transfusion. So you can see how a cult can take verses, and they can twist them to make them sound good, but it'll cost you your life or the life of those that you love if you don't test the application. You have to do that. Now, if you think that I'm against Amish people, I am not. My wife and I travel oftentimes by Amtrak to Chicago. Uh, We have a daughter that lives there. And anytime we get on the train coming west, half the train, maybe not half, a quarter of the train are all Amish people. And we visit with them. And they are the nicest people in the world. And my wife still prays for this one couple that that we met, because as nice as they are, their theology is not good. I'm not against Mormons. I've worked with them, and, and they are the second nicest people in the world, okay? <laughs> they are. And their lives are so clean, and think, man, I wish, I wish I looked like you. But their theology is in transit. Next time they decide they need to change something, guess what? Book of Mormon, part two, Here it comes, right? There's no stopping it because if they can do it once, what's to say they can't do it again? And I'm not against Jehovah's Witnesses. My best friend in high school was Jehovah's Witness. It's not that I'm against any of these people. I love these people. I hate their theology because it is not biblical. It is not biblical and it's sending people to early death. It's sending people to hell. And that that makes me weep. Because when you try to talk to somebody like that, you know how hard it is to get through to them, right? If you've ever done that. It is hard. But we pray for them. So that's a test of your application. The third or second test is the application correct to the context. There is a book that we used to read to our, our children when they were growing up. It's called Lazy Jack. I love this book. And it's about this fellow. He's a young guy. He's laying in bed, and his mom comes up to him and says, "You lazy jack! Why don't you get up and go get a job?" And so he gets up and he goes and gets a job, and he works all day. And at the end of the day, the guy that he works for hands him a coin and says, "Good work. Here's your coin." And he walks home holding his coin in, in his hand. And by the time he gets home, his his mom says, "Well, what did you get?" And he said, "Well, I lost my coin." And she says, Jack, why didn't you put the coin in your pocket? You didn't need to carry it in your, in your hand. And so the next day, he gets up and goes to work, and he works with a, a dairy guy milking cows. And at the end of the day, the man gives him a bucket of milk, and he says, good work, Jack. You're doing well. And Jack, being sharp as he is, he says, I remember what my mom said. I'm going to pour that milk right in my pocket, and I'm going to get it home, you know. So he gets home, and what? His his pants are all soaked, and his mom says, so where's your pay? Uh, Mom, uh, I did what you told me. She says, lazy Jack, what's the matter with you? You should have put the bucket on your head. Okay, Mom. Next day, he goes and he works for another dairy guy, and the guy pays him with a block of cheese. And he says, I got it this time. I'm going to put that cheese on my head, And I'm going home at the end of the day. Hot day, that cheese is melted all over his face, right? And he gets home, and his mom says, Jack, what did you get today? Well, they paid him with cheese. Well, where is it? Well, uh, this is what's left of it, Mom. And she says, Jack, you know, you should have put it in a damp cloth and brought it home. Got it, Mom. Next day, he goes and he works for another guy, and at the end of the day, he says, How would you like a dog? Sure, I like a dog. So he gets a wet rag and wraps the dog in the wet rag, and he is trying to carry this dog who doesn't like being wrapped in a wet rag home, and the dog gets away. And the mom says, Why didn't you put a leash on him and bring him home? Okay, Mom. Next day, he goes to work, and he gets paid with a fish. You know the story. (laughs) So he ties the fish to a leash, and he drags the fish home, right, right? And by the time he gets home, what do you think the fish looks like? Ah, his mom, why didn't you put the fish on your back? Okay, mom. Next day, (laughs) there's there's an end to this. We'll get through by the time we're done. (laughs) He goes and he works, and the man pays him with a donkey. And so the picture that you saw is this guy is going through the village trying to carry a donkey in his back because that's what mom told him to do. Now, it isn't that Jack didn't hear his mom's word, and it's not that he didn't take him to heart. It's that he failed to critically think about the context in which the words were given. Jack wasn't lazy. He worked. He knew how to work hard. He just didn't know how to think, right? Right? He didn't know how to apply what he had learned into his situation. And that's what applying a test to our application, we have to say, okay, this is, this is what the word says. What do I do with this? So we're going to see if this slide comes up. It has a flow chart, and if it doesn't, then we'll have to get this to you. There it is. Okay, I, for years I wrote software, And this is the way that you you first do software. You do what they call a flow chart. If you leave this up for a while, so what you start with is a passage and you have to look at the context just as the process, step one. You look at the process and then you do your observation, right? The arrow drops to observation. Then it goes to interpretation as to how we understand what we have read. And then you go to application. Now this is where if you want to think of it, it might get a little tricky. And let me show you why. Because if the application is direct, then you do exactly what it says. The passage I have up there is Ephesians 4.28. And in that passage, it basically says, if you're a thief, quit stealing. Now, you know what it says in the Greek? It says, if you're a thief, quit stealing. Pretty good, huh? That's what it says. Now, what kind of... Of, of thought does it take to understand that? Okay, I'm stealing, I'm a thief, I know what I need to do, I need to quit. So that is a direct application. The second option is by principle. So this one comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, and it says, don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. What is the intent of the author? Is he against women looking nice? I don't think so. The context is that he's saying that's where women sometimes can go overboard. But, you know, there's a principle there because a man can be just as wrapped up in his sports or wrapped up in his car, right? My ride, don't mess with my ride. Or or his garage, or whatever else it could be. You see what I'm saying? So there's a principle that applies whether or not you are concerned about fancy clothes or hairdo or whatever. You can see I'm really concerned about my hairdo. The point being is that you have to understand if it's direct application. Is it clear if I'm, if I'm stealing? Quit stealing. But just because I'm not concerned about fancy clothes and, and jewelry... Can I just cross that verse out? I can't. I have to stop and think, not like Lazy Jack. I need to say, okay, what, is, what does this mean to me? You see what I'm saying? Because it's there for a reason, and, and, and the apostle Paul isn't just picking on women. Another test that you have to do with your application is, is you have to ask yourself, am I purposing to apply what I'm doing the praise of men or of God. This is one that challenges a lot of people because you know what? Sometimes as we are getting ready to go to church, we make sure that we put on the right looks, don't we? That we come here, make sure the smile's in place. Yep, got it. Okay, we'll get back to the car and then at that point you're going to get it, wife, or you're going to get it, husband, right? Ephesians 6.6. And this one is out of the New American Standard. It says, not by way of eye service. Whatever you're doing, not by way of eye service. It's not that you're trying to attract the attention or feed the attention of of anybody but God, as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. You see, because we can do all the application, we can do all the right things, we can check all the right boxes, but for the wrong reason. Ever hear the Pharisees? What did they do? They come to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? And didn't didn't we do this? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do? I mean, what a pedigree, right? And he tells them, depart from me. I don't even know who you are. The box doesn't matter if it's checked or not. What matters is if the heart is checked. And who can do that other than we ourselves? And so God calls us. You know, to himself and says, you know what? We're going to have to sit down and, and look at this. You're doing what you're doing, but I'm going to ask you, why are you doing it? A phrase that I, I picked up, and I don't know from where, but I always ask myself, why am I doing what I'm doing in the way that I'm doing it? Why? why am I doing? Why am I doing my work in the first place? And why am I doing it in the way that I'm doing it? If it's not for the glory of God, then what is it worth? What is it worth? So what we're going to do now uh, with the time we have left, and I think the clock is running tonight, so I think I'm okay. Uh, I hope I won't sin again tonight. We're going to do a very quick study of two verses, and we're going to go through the entire process together, okay? Because if you can learn this process, it if, if you if you don't know how to do this, but if you can learn it, it will change your life. In your time in the Word of God, you will will have to pull yourself away from your Bible. It's amazing. So we're going to go to 2 Timothy 2, verse 1 and 2. In just two verses, and it reads this, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach things that have been Confirmed by, men, by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Two simple verses. So the first thing we have to do is I need to give you I need to give you context, right? So as Paul, after Paul is released from prison in Rome, this is about 62 A.D. So about 30 years after Christ. Died on the cross. And after his fourth missionary journey, during which time he writes First Timothy and Titus, these are letters that Paul Wright wrote to these to these men. Paul was imprisoned a second time under Emperor Nero. His first stint in prison was basically house arrest. They didn't have the ankle braces at that time, but they had Roman guards that were were almost as good. But this time, now that he's in prison again, he is in a dungeon, in a Roman dungeon. And so from this Roman cell, he writes this second letter to Timothy. And it's the last letter that he writes before he dies. That's the context, okay? Paul is writing to Timothy, and they have this relationship. Let's look at this. We're going to do observation first. So we look at at verse 1. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. What I do is I take it apart, phrase by phrase, word by word. Dear son, what does that imply? Except there, there's a close relationship. Be strong. Now, see, this may not be obvious from the English. Be strong. If I if I told if I told my brother Tomas here, Tomas, be strong. He's going to say, okay, you know, I'm going to I'm going to be strong. This verb, it's actually command but it is in the passive voice. So actually what it is saying is let yourself be strengthened. He's not saying pull up your boots and make yourself stronger. He's saying let yourself be strengthened, okay? He's not expecting this strength to come out of of Timothy. And the strength doesn't come from Timothy, but it says what? The strong through or by the grace that God gives you. So what is it that's supposed to strengthen us? God's grace, right? Pretty straightforward. And then the next thing is grace. God is the giver of this grace. It says right there, the the grace that God gives you. And the grace is received through Jesus. Pretty clear, huh? Okay, let's look at verse 2. Let me find myself. Verse 2. You have... Heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Let's take this apart. So this is still our observation. What do I see as I read this verse? Okay, you have heard. What does that say? Paul and Timothy sent, spent time together, right? They weren't, they weren't on a the phone. They didn't have that then. They had to be together, right? So they, they you know that they spend time together. Paul, it says teach things that's plural things. So there are things that Paul taught often probably many things. And if you read in the book of Acts, Paul Paul committed even the bigger sin. He was preaching one night so long that one guy they were up in the upper room, remember the story? He fell asleep and fell out the window and died. See? I'm not that bad yet. Teach these things that I have taught you. Paul taught him, and then confirmed by reliable witnesses. Paul didn't teach in secret Bible study. He didn't. He didn't pull people, Timothy off into the court and say, "Okay, this is what it's going to be, guys. You know, let me show it with you." He talked publicly, so that whatever he said, remember we talked about this people could go home and check it for themselves just like in in Berea. They went home daily to see if what Paul was saying was true. Paul wasn't ashamed of what he taught. And he tells Timothy, this, you know, other people checked it out. You You can believe it. And then finally, he says, now teach. Paul commands. This is the second command in these two verses. Paul commands Timothy to follow his example. So, Let's still look at, at chapter uh, verse two, but out of this out of this verse, look what you can what you can observe. Paul considered Timothy one able to teach. Why on earth would he tell him, "I want you to teach" if he wasn't able to? Right? Why would I tell somebody, you know, I want you to do a backward flip with an extra twist? Uh, are you kidding me? I don't know what you're talking about. You wouldn't ask. You wouldn't command somebody to do something if you didn't think that they were capable. So Paul knows that Timothy is able to teach. Secondly, he knows that he's trustworthy, right? He knows that Timothy is able to judge who else is trustworthy because he says, now teach these truths to other trustworthy people. How are you going to figure out who they are, right? All those who are trustworthy, raise your hand, please. Okay, uh, okay, well, I'll go, up, I'll go next door. <laughs> you know, he had trained Timothy how to discern where to put his strokes. He says, what I've given you, I know you can teach now. And what I've taught you, I want you to find trustworthy people to give it to them. And then he says, I also want you um, to know that these people you've given it to, that they are able to teach others also, you see? And so Paul believes that Timothy is now equipped to be able to determine who can multiply themselves spiritually. And so you come to, to this next slide or ask the question, what does Paul want to see happen after the Lord takes him home? What it, why, he's writing this last letter that he's ever going to be writing while on this earth. What does Paul want to see Timothy do? And this is what it is he wants paul Paul wants to see generations of spiritual people reproduced you take Paul what God has given him he's given to Timothy who he counted trustworthy and able to teach and he tells Timothy you pass it and you find trustworthy people who are who are trustworthy and able to teach so that they can teach others in this verse you have four Generations of spiritual people in one verse. That's the way it's supposed to work. But you see, unless we know how to study, it's like we we we're not going to be able to really teach very well. But this is where we need to go, you see, because there are two commands in this in these two verses. The first is to be strengthened. And it's not by your own strength. It's to allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen you. And you have to ask yourself, where are you pulling your strength from? The second one is to teach these things. And, and, and we have to ask ourselves, do I know what to teach? Do I know how to teach? And then also, who is my Paul? You see, all of us are somewhere in that chain of command, aren't we? Or chain of, of, of generations. So who is my Paul? who is helping me? Who is my Timothy? Who am I trying to help? Because if we can't identify that then we really don't understand the way it's supposed to work. Does that make sense? So this is what God calls us to. First Timothy chapter 4 verse 16. Paul writes to Timothy later in that in, in his first letter, He says, keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. Pretty direct application, amen? So our question is, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? I really would pray that, you know, I realize that this isn't a typical sermon per se, okay but you could take even those two verses and you can you can you can preach that if you want to. I don't copyright it. this happens to be God's word, right? Amen? But my prayer for all of us is that we take it and we do it carefully, that we do it accurately because if we're representatives of God, we want to make sure that we represent him and His word faithfully. Pastor, do you want to close us?
4: It's an incredibly powerful sermon. It's a teaching different from a sermon, but he's teaching us that, one, we need to make sure we know the Lord, first and foremost. And then who are you committed to to teach you? Who is your Paul? Who's that person that you said, this is my pastor, this is my teacher, this is the person that I'm allowing to speak life into me? And then who's your Timothy? Who's the person that God has put in your life that you are to train up and disciple and bring them to the knowledge not only of Christ, His saving knowledge, but the knowledge of all of God's word. Some of you don't have a Paul in your life. You haven't committed to a church. You haven't committed to a teacher, a pastor, someone that's going to speak into your life. And some of you don't have a Timothy, someone that you're teaching, someone that you're mentoring, someone that you're bringing alongside of you. Look, the Bible says to cast all of our cares one to another, in other words, we're supposed to really be able to share the load. Some of you are carrying a heavy-duty load right now. I've been praying with some of you. I know you're going through marital problems. You're going through problems with your children, problems at work, problems with your finances. You're overwhelmed by life. Some of you are saying, I don't know if how we're going to do it. But I'm telling you, God's Word teaches us. Not a name it and claim it. I believe it and it's going to work out. He says, in this world you will have many trials and tribulations. But be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. He's saying, see, the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is we still have the problems, but we show a lost and dying world how we get through it. So be that testimony. So if there's anyone here that's never even started a relationship with the Lord and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and you want to do that tonight, just raise your hand and say, you know what, pastor, that's me. Anyone over here? Anyone over here? I don't want to leave anyone out. Well, then what I want to do is invite you to take time to really commit yourself, commit yourself first and foremost to God, rededicate yourself See, God. I've strayed away some. And this being the first day of Lent, this being Ash Wednesday, where you remind us of the sacrifice that you made, God. I'm going to sacrifice, and I'm going to commit to give some things up. I'm going to give up a television show. I'm going to give up social media, or at least an hour of it, so you can spend that hour with God, reading His Word, listening, listening to different chats or maybe some kind of blog something that's going to feed your life some of you need to give up some things that you know are destructive and you only give it up for Lent so for the next 47 days you don't do it but come Easter Sunday let's do it man let's get a double portion of sin so instead say God I'm just going to do one day at a time. But let my 47 days turn into 47 years. that I'm going to walk with you. So would you stand with us? This is an amazing song. And if you want prayer, I invite you to come up. To lay down your burden. To say, God, I need your help. I need you desperately. I need you to intervene. God, I need you to work in my life someone has been teaching me that you can make a difference tonight I'm going to claim that difference to show me the way so if you want prayer make your way up we're not going to keep you all night we just want you to to take time to have someone pray with you and then we'll close in prayer
3: I was a wretch I remember who I was I was long I was gone I was running out of time Sin Separated The breach was far too wide But from the far side of the chasm You held me in your sight So you made a way Across the grave Left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside. And then at the cross, you paid the debt I owe. Broke my chains, freed my soul for the first time I had
2: hope. Thank you, Jesus.
4: Thank you, thank you. Lord, we bless you and praise you for who you are. God, you're such an amazing, loving God. Father God, we come before you and we just give you thanks and praise for your faithfulness, for your goodness, for your mercy, for your grace, for your love. Lord, I pray that we learn to live in that love, grace, and mercy. And that, Lord, we would be found faithful. God, I pray that you be with every person in this room, every person online, whether across the street or across the world. I pray supernatural move of your Holy Spirit. Thank you so much, Father God, for Reverend Anthony Griego and his delivery of the word of God. Father, he has challenged us how to study and how to dig deeper in the word so that as we are strengthened, And we allow you to strengthen us, that we would help strengthen others. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and God's people said amen. Amen. Please make sure you greet somebody on the way out. Don't forget, ladies, this Saturday at 10 a.m.